And you say, okay, what are all the good-looking young people doing up there with you? Well, these are folks on a mission, and we want you to hear about it. Welcome Pastor Tim, Tim Heist. Well, good morning. We, on Saturday, are headed out to a rural town in El Salvador. And the town's name is El Espino. And while we're in that town, we're going to be doing a bunch of different things. The town's about 40 miles um, outside of San Salvador, the capital. They have no running water, very little electricity, but a really good church that cares about people. And we're going to go and return there. We were there last summer, and we're going to partner with this church um, to do a couple cool things in the community. One of those is to teach members of the church to teach Sunday school and to do children's ministry. Another thing we'll be doing is working again at the public school to build a wall around the school for protection, um, both for the kids and mudslides and violence and all kinds of things with that. We'll also be doing lots of home visits and praying with people and general ministry stuff. So we're really excited to see students serve um, in El Salvador. That's great. If, you're, if you have a few years on you, there's hardly anything that excites you more than seeing young people with cool heads and hot hearts. People who can do anything they want to do, and they've chosen to love Jesus and to go together to a place they've never been. Some of them may have been to, on another trip. But, but I think we as a congregation have a huge privilege in blessing them in prayer, not just now, but as they go starting next Saturday. So would you join your hearts with me as we pray? Lord, thank you for your mission in us. Thank you for the friends in El Salvador who welcome us. Thank you for these young people who will work with kids and with teachers and go door to door and work with their hands. Thank you as they kick a can as a substitute for a soccer ball on some muddy street in El Salvador, that in that expression, Jesus will be seen. May there be people with lives transformed, both those who are in El Salvador and these young people as they work together to see a greater dimension of who you are. Thank you for the sponsors. Give them journeying mercies, safe travels. We bless them as they go in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Let's hear it again for the gang as they go. Would you do that? Thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, we're back with eyewitness news. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, sixth chapter. Two weeks ago was the feeding of the 5,000. Last week, it was Jesus on the stormy water with the disciples. This week, he lands on the beach and all kinds of things happen. I, I don't know what it is about my study, but I don't know that I had ever really thought this through, but from the time that he fed the 5,000, which was late afternoon, until just now in the text today, it's, it's less than 24 hours. I mean, he's fed thousands of people. He's done this miracle. There have been miracles and prayer, and there's been rowing on a stormy night. There's been shouting and encouragement, the stuff we talked about last week. And all of this, it hasn't been 24 hours yet, and all that stuff has happened. So here's the text. Mark, the sixth chapter, 49 through the, through the 56 verses. And I'm going to read a few verses from last week <clears throat> where Jesus walks on the water. When they saw him walking, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it's on the screen. When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, Jesus. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, 
don't be afraid. Now, I'm, I suggested last week that he shouts that because the wind is snatching words, and I suggested that it was like my, my friend Art would say that, that when he was in Brooklyn growing up and said he had a mom who said, grow up, get married, or grow up, get a good job, marry a nice Jewish girl, that he heard that so often he thought it was one word. And last, <clears throat> and last week I suggested, I think this, this take courage, it is I, don't be afraid, like is one word, and it is I is the, is the construction I am. I am the God who goes before you. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so this word, take courage, I am, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm suggesting it's one word, and, we, and it goes like this. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. Say it with me. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. Try it one more time. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. So they've got that ringing in their ears. They're soaking wet. They're probably drying out a little bit, but in the morning they land on the beach in Gennesaret. Then he climbed into the boat with them, but the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they'd crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. So you've got all of this stuff going on. These people, thousands of them, were fed just hours before. And he sent them back to their homes, probably five or six miles around the end of the lake. And the word is out. This Jesus person, he is something. They recognized him. Recognition's a, a big deal. I went to DMV or Larimer County Clerk's office last Monday and I walked in and, and they just didn't take my word for it that I was who I said I was. They wanted to see a photo ID of me. When you go get on an airplane, they want to see a photo ID. There are other ways to ID people or recognize them. Fingerprint, that's one, or handprint in some offices. You do that, I mean, when it's really secure or retina, retina recognition. If you really want to ID somebody, you have the DNA test so you can really tell who they are. And um, sometimes, you know, sometimes we sit in the same sections here. Almost always I sit in the same section when I'm in the audience. It's just these are the seats that Jesus gave us right over here or right back there, you know. I, you say, I'm in the upper left quadrant over here and or I'm off, just off the center aisle and, you know, whatever. I went, I think it was in traditions in the early service. I went in and there were six or eight people. It was a few weeks ago. And I said, you folks always sit here? They said, always. I said, have you known each other a long time? They said, we've been together since high school. I said, you people need help. No, I didn't. <laughs> but it might be fun as you come in next Sunday to just meet a couple, three people in three, two or three rows around you if you haven't. Because you, you sort of know them, but you don't. You recognize them, but you don't know them. And the root word for recognize is to know them. So just introduce yourself and say, this is like our church down here, this part. And we just kind of get to know each other better. The more famous you are, the more quickly you're recognized. A few years ago, I was sitting in the Senate dining room in D.C. when we lived there. And I had some young pastor friends from the West Coast. And I said, now, boys, we're all over our heads here. These are people you see on CNN and Fox. You'll see some of these guys in here. And, and uh, just... Just don't gawk. Okay, try not to embarrass yourselves or me. And just, you know, let's just be together. Because I had to learn this. Because people that, I just wanted to like touch them or say hi. Or I know you don't know me. And they say, yes, you're right. We don't know you. You know, that kind of stuff. 
So we're sitting there, and there's a senator. If I named him, you would know who he was. He was at a table of about eight or nine people. And uh, they got up to leave. We were just finishing our meal, but one of them didn't get up. He was a large African-American man. And I glanced over my shoulder and looked again, and I'm looking at Muhammad Ali. And this young man sitting next to me saw him at the same time, and he just couldn't stand it. He couldn't <laughs> contain himself, and he just jumped up. And by this time, Muhammad Ali had stood up and was walking behind us. So they met right here, and he sort of blocked his way. If you could do that, he blocked his way. And he said, champ, how are you? What's the good word? And the champ looked at him and said, uh, are you with these fellows here? He said, yes, I am. And he said, why don't you pick up the bill? And then he just walked out. <laughs> When you're famous, you're recognized, that's how it is. And Jesus was recognized immediately, point one. When Jesus is recognized, this is on the back of your bulletin. When Jesus is recognized, people respond. When Jesus is recognized, people respond. Recognition is immediate. The word is out. This is not sophisticated. This is not DNA, retina, handprint. No, no, this is experiential. The word is out that here is a person who is profound. Years later, one of his disciples, rowers in the boat, John, the fisherman, writes this in 1 John, the first chapter, in the first verse. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This is like experiential knowledge, recognition. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Healings, when you read the first part of Mark, there have been healings right and left. All this stuff, is, he's a teacher, he's a healer, he's provider, he's, he's done this lunch thing with the little kids, sack lunch. I, I love that story of the feeding of the 5,000 because here's this kid, he's got a couple like sardines and these are small fish and five little loaves, like pita pocket things, and thousands of people are fed and they got 12 basketfuls left. I love that story. I love the way Pastor Derry talked about it. I have a friend who wrote a musical about that. And in there, there was this kid who sang a song. He was the kid with the lunch, and he sang this song. If you'd have been there when he borrowed my lunch, you'd have believed him too. <laughs> I can hear 50 years later his grandchildren crawling up on his lap saying, lap saying, Grandpa, tell us that story one more time when Jesus took your lunch and fed all this. I mean, like, would that be an incredible grandpa story or what? <laughs> so he's the teacher, he's the healer, he's the provider. This is no run-of-the-mill rabbi. This is a person who, when he walks into the space, the center of the universe shifts. E. Stanley Jones was a famous Methodist missionary to India. He went to work with the Harijan, with the children, what they called, the, what, what Gandhi called the children of God. These were the outcasts, the lower castes, of people, Dalits are also what they are called. And he worked with them, and, the, and he, did, he did such things and was so thoughtful about it that the intelligentsia of India caught wind, and they invited him into their gatherings to speak with them about Jesus. And he wrote this some years ago. This is not an exact quote, but he said, what people always look for is a new leader and a new world order. And they find both of those in Jesus of Nazareth. We're looking for a new leader and a new way to orchestrate or structure our world, and we find both of those in Jesus of Nazareth. 
When he got out of the boat that morning, this was his place. This were, these were his people. Point two, how did they respond? Well, they responded by bringing their friends. It says, and they began to bring the sick on mats to where they heard he was. These mats were little thin mattresses, probably stuffed with hay or straw or something that poor people use. They just slept on the ground with these little, little mats. And they, you can see these guys running and finding their friends who are sick. And, and they're just carrying him for miles. You got one guy on each corner of the mat or two guys that are stronger carrying this person. Maybe somebody crippled from birth or has some tremendous challenges with him. And wherever they can find a place in the marketplaces, in the countryside, at a farmer's market, in, the, in a village or in a town, they bring the people on those little mats. When you experience something that's great, the first thing you want to do is to tell your family and friends. You, you meet somebody and it's just profound or you go someplace and, and you're on the phone on the way home or you're texting. You young people, you're texting the minute it happens. Like in the group, you're saying you'll never believe. And then you put it on Facebook and it goes around the world in a nanosecond and everybody hears about it. That's how it is because you want your friends to know when something good happens. E. Stanley Jones, the guy I just talked about, was a great evangelist. He was a good newser. He loved talking about Jesus. I think he, I, you know, I never met him. He died before. He died in the 70s, and I had not known him, but I read his stuff. I have some friends who can talk about pizza, baseball, and Jesus in the same breath, and it's like all the same. It's just the same. It's not pizza, baseball, and Jesus. You know, it's just pizza, baseball, and Jesus. And E. Stanley Jones said this. He had a stroke and 14 months later he died, but he dictated what was his last book called The Divine Yes. If you've not read it, I commend it to you. E. Stanley Jones, The Divine Yes. You could go to half.com or someplace and get it. But on the dust jacket, this is how he speaks about his relationship with Jesus. I have often said half-jokingly that when I get to heaven, I will ask for 24 hours to see my friends, then I shall go up to him and say, haven't you a world somewhere which has fallen people who need an evangelist like me? Please send me there. For I know no heaven beyond preaching the gospel to people. That is heaven to me. It has been, is, and ever shall be. So they brought their friends to him. It isn't just that they brought their friends. They got them close. They wanted to get him close. It says that if, if they could touch the fringe of his garment, and Jewish observant Jewish men wore a cloak with four corners that had tassels on it, and those tassels were knotted, often with 613 knots, because there were 613 laws in the Old Testament, and about 300 some are prohibitions, thou shalt not, and 200 some are thou shalt's. But in Numbers and Deuteronomy, it says that they're to do that so they remember God as they go around their various duties. And literally, it says if somebody could touch a tassel, maybe it's still damp from coming across <laughs> that night in the, in the water, but if they could touch a tassel, whoever could do that was healed. I like to see it as creating a clear line of sight for Jesus or toward Jesus from, from the viewer that if somehow they could get a clear shot, that something, when you see Jesus clearly, it's a different deal. Like sometimes when you see church or you see institutions or you see theologies, it, you're trying to sort of see Jesus in there. I have an attorney friend in DC who uh, we were talking one day and he said, you know, Dick, I'm, I'm, I'm good with the God idea. I, I believe there's a God, that's not my question. Whether Jesus 
is God, that's, that's a different question. And, and I'm not sure about that one. I said, well, have you ever read his ideas? Because when you read Jesus' ideas in the Gospels, it's very interesting, it's very disturbing. A lot of them really, well, you say, how do you get your brain around that? But I said, would you like to chat about that sometime? He said, yeah, I think that'd be interesting. And uh, I said, when would be a good time for you? He said, well, Sunday mornings are good for me. I said, you know, I'm a little tied up on Sunday mornings usually, but, but we got together and he said, where should we start? Like, is there homework? And I said, well, how about the Sermon on the Mount? That's Matthew 5 and some other places. It's a compilation of some of Jesus' key thoughts. Why don't you read that and then we'll talk about it. So he read that and we got together. It's Matthew 5, 3 through 10 for starters. This is how it reads. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled, and so forth and so on. And he said, you know, I read all those blesseds, and he said, they, I sort of get that. He said, but that first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, seems to be a non sequitur. That is, it doesn't fit. It, it seems like it's out of sequence or something. I said, why? He said, I don't know. What does poor in spirit mean? I said, well, what does poor mean? He said, well, it means you don't have any assets. I said, well, what do you think poor in spirit means? He said, that you don't have any spiritual assets? I said, maybe. When you just give people Jesus straight up, when you don't try to interpret it, interpret him to others, but you just let, him, let them read the Gospels, Something profound happens. Now, it isn't that preacher types like me shouldn't explain and expound or that teachers in Sunday school shouldn't, but sometimes when you get the story just straight, the Spirit does things, because he's the teacher, the Spirit does things that can happen no other way. You parents, you get this. Some of the stuff you would explain to kids, and sometimes you say, you need to figure that out. You need to just think about that. I think these people didn't want anything to get in the way of their friends seeing and being touched by Jesus. Sometimes I clutter them up. Sometimes I get my theology in there, or my personality gets in the way, or whatever it is. But I, you know, I learned a lesson some years ago. I'm still learning it. I went to a golf tournament that was three days long, three separate rounds of golf. And as you know, I've told you this, I'm not a good golfer, but I'm avid and I just like to spend money to lose balls in the lake, in the woods. And I, you know, it's sort of a thrill. And um, I was at this, I was at this golf tournament where the money that was being raised was for inner city kids and for students around the world. And um, they had this unique thing. Half the guys who came were like corporate types, young corporate execs, who were Jesus followers, and they would bring their friends who weren't Jesus followers, but they were golf lovers. And, and they could put up with the Jesus followers because they got to hit the long ball. And so they had this unique thing where they would take 20 minutes before each round and have somebody give a 20-minute talk about Jesus. Not about theology, not about that, but just something about the person, just one idea. And they came to me an hour before one of these sessions and said, would you give the talk? And I'm going, whoa, okay, well, like on what? And they said, on the simplicity of Jesus. And some of you have heard me tell this before, but I, I'm thinking, wow. And so I'm walking through the drink tent, and they've got drinks from Poland spring water to you, your best guess. They got everything in the drink tent. And, um, and I had this hunch. I have a friend who says, when God changes your life, he changes your huncher too. 
You know, and sometimes what you think is a hunch turns out to be a leading of the Holy Spirit himself. So I grabbed a spring water and I grabbed a bottle of Coca-Cola. I love Coca-Cola. And Coca-Cola loves me. But one of the images used for Jesus in the Gospels is living water. This is a simple formula. This is two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, H2O. Your body is two-thirds this. If you don't get this for five days, you die. This uses water. But this formula is unbelievable. I mean, it's secret. Parts of it are secret, but just part of it is like H3PO4, that's phosphoric acid, C6H12O5, that's fructose, CO2, carbon dioxide, C8H10N4O2, that's caffeine, it's got caramel, it's got lime, it's got essence of coca, it's got all, I mean, it's got, and if you drink quite a bit of this, you'll swell up. I've I've gained hundreds of pounds drinking this. (laughs) If you drink too much of this, it'll rot the teeth right out of your head. If you drink way too much, it'll kill you because it's toxic. You put this on your roses. You don't put this on your roses. You wash your car with this. You don't wash your car with this. You take a bath in this. You don't take a bath in this. Why? Because this will be cruddy and tacky and junky all over you. And this is a cleansing agent. When you add stuff to Jesus, you don't make him better. You dilute him. And sometimes... You can even make him toxic. So I need to bring my friends to Jesus and get out of the way and let them have a clear shot at who he is. Point three, when Jesus, when people get close to Jesus, they find he is more. They come for healing. It says, and as many as touched him were made well. The original word for healed here is the word sozo in the Greek, and it means healing, and it also means to save, to rescue when, they come, when we come to Jesus for this, oftentimes we get that. It's wholeness. He's much more than a carpenter or a teacher or a philosopher or a healer. I mean, any one of those is tremendous. But what we see in Jesus is way less than what we get. Can I say that again? What we see in Jesus is way less than what we get. I, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, who is this looks like one of us ordinary fella? This touchable, compassionate, water-walking, shouting-in-the-storm man. What else is happening there when I come in contact with Jesus? What's his purpose? This is his purpose. Colossians 1, 13 through 20. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. We're switching kingdoms. We're switching atmosphere. We're, we're switching what we breathe and how we think and how we feel and what we do when we come in connection with Jesus. Because in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. We heard last week he got in the boat and shut the wind down. He said, oh, stop it. It says that he struck it. Well, if, you know, if he created all this stuff, of course he can quiet the waves. And the, I mean, it just follows logically. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. If he lets out his breath, it's over. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. That's huge. 
That's more than touching the tassel and just getting a temporary fix. They come for a touch, and what do they find? They find his glory. His glory. John 1.14 says it this way, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory is a word in the Old Testament, kaboth which means weighty or heavy. Some of you are old enough to remember the language back in the day when somebody did something profound, other people would say, oh, that's heavy. Now that's old language now. But in D.C., or you hear on, on a news program, they say, this person has gravitas. We have this phrase in D.C. that that person, because of their capacity and their wisdom and their range, they are heavyweights, not lightweights. You measure gold by its weight. Precious metals are... So the, the glory of God is a weighty thing. First we see it, and then according to the text, we get it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He unlocks your doors and lets you out. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. First we see it then we get it. Essentially, it says the transformation occurs, the metamorphosis, that's the, that's the exact word, occurs when you spend time with him, in his presence, with his people, and it's a face-to-face -face thing. It's not just a side, just an angled glance. This is a powerful thing. They came for a touch of the tassel so they could be healed temporarily. They all ended up dying because any physical healing is temporary. You know, our bodies are falling off, essentially, coming apart. Now, some of you who are young, you say, well, that's because you're old. You're exactly right. That's why I'm, I look in the mirror and say, what happened? I mean, I used to have stuff, and then now I don't, and then it's moved and gone. And how do you, and you know, all of that. <laughs> but here is the God who comes and heals us all the way through. Our lives are transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. There are these phrases in the New Testament like faith to faith and glory to glory and face to face. When you want to be in his presence, this is like a romance. You know how it is when you're courting her, sir. You just wanted to be there. You just, she's this gorgeous girl and you're the hunk and, you're, and you just want to be together and you just, and you, the sound of the voice or just spending time and you, you don't have to talk about deep stuff. It, most of the stuff when you court, it's just inane. You're just filling space because you just want to be together. And that's how it is with Jesus, when you want to be with him. When you want to be with him or be with his men or his women, there's something powerful in that. This is a mutual pursuit. Some folks have been married so long and love so well, they start looking like each other. I think that's true with Jesus, that when we hang out with Jesus... There's a powerful thing that happens. Let me close with this. This idea of being transformed. I love this idea. I keep thinking about this idea. I'm not sure I get it, but I like it. Years ago, I met a, a woman. She was in her 80s at the time. Her name was Anna Tomasek. I met her in Bangalore, South India at a conference. She, in, she was born in 1900, 1924, went to a, a meeting where a, a lady missionary from India stood up and said, we need women, men and women, to come and work with orphan kids in India. And in that moment, Anna Tomasek felt a call to do that. She was engaged to a young doctor, and she went and told him, and she knew it would probably break up the engagement because he loved Jesus, but he wouldn't call to India. And uh, 
That's what happened. And she went and spent 52 years on the border of Nepal with co-workers running an orphanage. When I met her, she had had she had all kinds of physical problems and several times she'd been healed. She was instantly healed from tuberculosis, but she had seven cancer surgeries. So, you know, healing comes a lot of different ways. But this, at this time, she, they'd found filaria in her legs. That's elephantitis, where the little critters get in and lay stuff in the lymph system and legs swell up. She was on medications, but her feet were swollen so large she couldn't wear shoes. So at the end of this particular session, the person speaking said, Anna Tomasek, she was way in the back, said, Anna, if you would give 52 years to Jesus in India again, I want you to come down here to the front. And she stepped out and started shuffling down the aisle on these swollen feet. And as she came by us, I heard her say, tears streaming down her face, I'd do it a million times. I'd do it a million times. I'd do it a million times. Of course, we're bawling, you know. Later, I became president of this little college, and I had her come and just talk to the students for a week. And we'd sit on the platform. And on the last Friday, I said to her, give us an illustration of transformation in somebody's life that characterizes your time in India. And she told us this story. Said, my coworker and I had 23 kids in this little house, in this little village in Rupadia. There was no sewer system in this town, just a dung heap outside of town. And this man came early in the morning. There was a knock on the door. I went to the door, and here stood a man with a bundle. And I pulled back the little rags, and there was the brown face of a newborn Indian baby girl with umbilical cord and placenta still attached. This man had gone out to relieve himself early in the morning in the dung heap and saw something stirring under a tree and he brushed away the leaves and there in the dirt some Indian gypsies had come through during the night and this baby girl had been born in that culture at that time girls were disposable they just threw them away under the tree but this man found her and brought her to Mamaji respected mother he said we took her in raised her for seven years as our own and then adopted her to a wealthy family in New Delhi didn't hear from her for years and 20 years later, we got a letter from London, England with a, with a photograph in it. And this was the story that the parents had found that she had musical talent and they, um, they gave her piano lessons. And by the time she was 16, she was so proficient at piano that they sent her to the London Conservatory of Music. And the picture was this young woman at age 27 having tea at Buckingham Palace with the royal family, having just done a concert for the royal family. And she said, she's now a grandmother married to a British corporate executive holding Bible studies in downtown London. It's a long way from a broken engagement in Dayton, Ohio to the border of Nepal. And it's a long way from a dung heap in North India to Buckingham Palace. But when you follow this Jesus, when you see that you go for a touch of this and you get all of that, when you go for the moment and you get eternity, all bets are off. Anything can happen, and everything can happen. And when we, when we walk with him, we get to be in his presence and to be with him face to face. And somehow, I don't know how, I see that over the years as rubbing off. And when you walk into a room, a different presence walks into the room because you go to Jesus to get this, and what you get is glory. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me for just a moment? Just in this moment, and we do this every weekend, I love inviting people to respond to Jesus. Just with your heads bowed and no one looking for a moment. You may be here this morning and you say, you know, I'm, I'm like those folks on the mats. I've got a physical need this morning 
that I'm really concerned for or I've got an emotional thing, something going on in my emotions. And of course, oftentimes that feeds a physical complication. Or I just can't get my head straight about certain things. But I, I just need to touch the tassel. I, I just need for that touch. Because that's good. That's not bad at all. That's great. And you say, when you pray, would you include me in a prayer for healing this morning? You just slip your hand up. Just hold it up. Put it right back down. Hold it high. Put it right back down. Dozens of us. Dozens of us. Just put it right back down. Father, here we are. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know exactly what we need. Our felt need this morning is for physical, emotional healing. And I ask you in the name of Jesus to touch these dear friends. All it takes is a touch. For your power is so strong, it's weighty like gold. That even as these friends walk from this living room right here, that they will sense in their bodies and in their emotions your presence and your touch. For the one here who was frightened beyond measure because they got a report from a doctor in the last two weeks, wrap your arms around her or him and hold them today. We believe for them in Jesus' name. With your head still bowed, I just ask this question. Some of you are saying, you know, I'm, a, I'm sort of like your friend that says, I, okay, I believe in God, but I'm not sure about the Jesus part, but I'd like, I'd like to know that Jesus. If he's real, I want to know him. I want to start, and I want to start today. Why not start today? And you'd say, I'd like you to pray for me too. And you just slip up your hand real quickly and put it back down. And just say, I'd like to start. And you just put your hand up, just hold it up real high. Yes, I see you. Just put your hand up. We'll wait just a moment. And just put it right back down. Yes, I see you. Some of these folks who are raising hands are younger folks. When you start when you're young, it's not just a soul that gets changed. It's a whole life. Father, thank you for these who have raised their hands. Thank you for these who have heard your heart. Thank you for these who say, I want to start, and I want to start now. We pray your blessing upon them. And even as I pray these words, those of you who just slipped up your hand, in your hearts, pray this with me if you would. Father, here I am. Take away my past. Scrub me clean. Make me a new person through Jesus. Thank you for giving me a future and giving me hope. I want to know your power and your glory in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. If you said that prayer with me in your heart, and you'd like something to get you started along the way, we have some written stuff for you here that'll help you along the way. It's over there on the stairs and over there on the stairs and out of guest services. Just come grab one on your way out. Our prayer team is coming this morning. And uh, these are folks who are, in, in a real sense, the hand of God to us. I mean, it isn't that they're spooky or anything. They're just people who are willing to to take a moment and spend their time to pray with me, for example, if I have a need. I could go down here and, and just, 
Just take a moment for some particular thing. And I encourage you to do that as you go. But now, the good word. When Jesus got out of the boat, people recognized him immediately. Instead of saying a benediction this morning, we're going to sing it. And we're going to sing it without instrumentation. There is this old song that was written 400 years ago called the doxology. Doxa is the Greek word for glory, and logos is the Greek word for words. These are words of glory, and some of you know it. You grew up singing this, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above you, heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy. And we're going to sing it, and we're going to do, if you want to do parts, like if you're an outdoor tenor, just go for it. If you can't carry a tune in a bucket, just go for it. You know, shout it, do whatever you want. And I'm going to lead you, and when we get to the amen, we're just going to hold it out, and that'll be it. Okay, here we go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy service begins now.